Welcome to the Thrive Podcast, the place where you will get to know inspiring real-life women who dare to do the uncommon. They embrace who they are in their life's purpose, and most importantly, they thrive because of it. I am Olga Mueller, a personal success coach and speaker, passionate traveler, and unshakable believer that everyone deserves to live a life they love without ever having to feel guilty about it. Each week, I will introduce you to powerhouse women from all around the world to show you that you can create a fulfilling life you love, no matter the circumstances, personal history, or topic. Me and my fellow ladies are here to bust your fears, your feelings of guilt and shame, and boost your confidence to a whole new level where you are finally able to see that I can do it too. Get ready to dare, embrace, and thrive unapologetically with us. Let's do this. Welcome to a new episode of the Thrive Podcast. Today, I have a really fierce badass with me. Her name is Steph Godro. She's from San Diego in the US. And Steph is a nutritional therapy consultant, author, speaker, blogger, coach, podcaster, and the creator of the former Stupid Easy Paleo. Steph Godro's mission is to help women create bigger, bolder, and fiercer lives by building health from the inside out. Steph wrote the bestseller, The Paleo Athlete, and the award-winning book, The Performance Paleo Cookbook. Her book, The Core Four, which just came out in July, shares her core four pillars of health. And Steph has also a chart-topping two-times-weekly podcast called Harder to Kill Radio, which has had over two million downloads, incredible, and where she talks all things fitness, nutrition, and mindset about how to build unbreakable humans. And I'm so happy and so grateful to have you with us today, Steph. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I am I am like beyond grateful to have you on the show today because uh, I think in any area really you are a fierce badass bitch if you don't take that personally. <laughs> I really mean it as a compliment because um I think after today's uh session I think people will really get uh, what I mean by that because you have in my opinion created um let's say thriving success. Um in your health, in your, uh, let's say, personal life, with your business. Um, and um, I think many people will actually find it shocking um, to hear that your personal story actually started out on, a like on the completely opposite spectrum of mm -hmm. where you are today. Because um, on your website, you openly share that really most of your life... Um, your life has been basically dictated by body dysmorphia and diet obsession. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's been really, <laughs> it's been an interesting ride. Let's just say <laughs> yeah. that and so, yeah, maybe can you share with us where that actually all started or how it actually started? Because um, I'm curious to hear like when when people look at at your website or at the things that you do now i feel like you're such a confident person and really like so you know with a with the attitude like you don't care about sharing your um your your let's say i don't want to call it even deficiencies but you know something that other people are covering up for example stretch marks or cellulitis or even a gap in your teeth you know <laughs> you're sharing it all publicly so i'm i'm like wondering you know where did the all the insecurity really come from in the beginning yeah that's such a good question and i think if i go back really far mm. um it started it, there was kind of a, a 
a collection of things. I think that that happened when I was in elementary school. Mm-hmm. So I was, um, my parents got divorced and I didn't really have a father figure in my life other than my grandfather. He passed away when I was eight mm. and my stepdad, um, was not very nice to me, mm. uh, and, and would always make comments about my weight. And I think that was the earliest indication that there was maybe something I'm using air quotes here wrong mm-hmm. with me. Yeah. Right. It was like, I, I mean, I've always been like a sturdy individual. I've never been very skinny. Um, I, my sister who's pretty close in age to me, she's a little bit younger. She, and I don't look anything alike. I mean, she's like <laughs> taller, thinner, blonde hair, blue eyes. Um, we're very different people. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, that always was a comparison point for me as well. Yeah. Like, why don't I look, uh, why am I not as thin as she is? And mm. my stepdad would say comments about my weight. And um, so I think that was part of it. I also became, uh, I went through puberty mm-hmm. before anyone else in my grade, like my grade school class, I think it was in fifth grade. And Mm -hmm. so I was really, you know, physically developing, I got my period, I mean, just things that weren't happening to anyone else Mm. yet. And so it just made me really self conscious. And, you know, when you develop younger, and no one else around you is, and then I think that combined with the things that my stepdad said, really, set me on this path of thinking that there's something wrong with me and something wrong with my body. And, and then the other thing that happened right around that time is I would get really, really sick every month when I got my period for Mm -hmm. years and years. And after about a year or so, my mom took me to the gynecologist. I think I was Mm -hmm. about 11 and, um, you know, she was like, well, there's nothing really wrong with you. It's just your hormones. So I also stopped really listening and trusting my own listening to and trusting my own body. Mm. You know, and I think there were all those things kind of created this perfect storm of feeling really insecure about myself, feeling very self-conscious, feeling like I couldn't listen to my intuition, feeling like I, my body would, you know, essentially had betrayed me. And mm. all of those things together really set me on this path of feeling so unhappy with myself, of feeling like if I could just have the uh, have a better body, have a thinner body have a body that looks like other people, then I would be happy or Mm. I would feel accepted. And that really kicked off years of restricting my food, worrying about what I was eating, um, constantly trying to make myself smaller, being on a diet, um, always trying to lose weight, obsessively weighing myself, um, having a very dysmorphic view of my body, like Mm -hmm. not accurately seeing when I looked in the mirror, not seeing how I looked at accurately, I should say. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I was never diagnosed with anything like body dysmorphic disorder or anything of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just make that point because that's a very, very extreme version of, I think what I have experienced, but nevertheless, um, I wasn't really able to see myself in an accurate way. And I think that was really, really, really difficult. So all of those things kind of came to a head, Um, you know, by the time I was in my late twenties, early thirties, and I just sort of thought, Mm. well, I don't know, is this going to be the way I live the rest of my life? And I kind of thought it would be, you know, always unhappy with myself, never comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. And I'm curious, like when did you see other people, was it just you receiving criticism, especially from your stepdad, as you mentioned, or did you also notice other people being rewarded for something that Mm -hmm. had to do with, you know, looking a certain way or, 
um, being a certain weight? Yeah, and I think there's I think there's a couple of things there. I think overtly, yeah, I mean, you like when you're a kid, when you're a teenager, you notice that you know, the pretty girls get more attention or mm. the, you know, the the good-looking people are more popular and um so I think that stuff goes into it. And then I think there's this other layer which is a little bit more subconscious mm-hmm. which is not seeing people that you relate to that look like you represented in things like media. I mean, we didn't really have social media when I was a teenager. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I think I that was a good thing. I can't imagine what that's like to grow up with that right now. But anyway, yeah. I, I, I feel like, you know, when you're not, and I mean, I, even when I was, you know, I will say again, air quotes, like my chubbiest or, mm-hmm. you know, even when I was at my biggest, I was still not someone who walked around in a plus size body. I'll just say that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but nevertheless, I still felt like when I looked at, you know, when you look at the the female protagonist in a movie or mm-hmm. even superheroes, you know, when Wonder Woman came out, even this is recently, and she was praised for being muscular. And I was mm-hmm. just like, I mean, really? Like, she's still very thin. And, and so to me, that stuff... Um, is if you look at it and you know what you're looking for, you mm-hmm. see that reinforced in yeah. in movies, in television, in media, in social media, with Instagram influencers. Like you see that stuff all the time. Yeah. And if you're not aware of it, it does become a thing of, of like, well, no one looks like me. I don't see people that look like mm-hmm. me represented in any of this. And like I said, I I, I cannot even imagine what it's like to be – someone who is plus size, someone who is in, in a much larger body, mm. because that's even, even less common for them. Yeah, that's true. You know, yeah. And so how would you say, or what were some of the habits that you developed from early on, basically, and that maybe carried through, you mentioned like your early 30s, even? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I would weigh myself every single day. And I not only that, but I would make sure that I would pinch my inner thighs. Like mm-hmm. I would grab the fat on my inner thighs, which, you know, pretty much a lot of women have is we're just how we carry our body fat there. Yeah. But for me, that was my area, right? Like some people it's their, un- it's their triceps. Mm-hmm. Some people it's their stomach. For me, it was like, I would pinch that fat on my inner thighs. And that was like, am I losing weight today? Have Mm. I lost weight? Am I any smaller? So that was definitely, I mean, something I was, I I did that every single day. And that was like my way of also measuring, did my body change, even Mm -hmm. though my weight didn't change. Um, And yeah, like I said, weighing myself every single day, letting that number dictate Mm. the rest of how, how my day would go. If it went down and then I was like, all right, this is a victory. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm a better person today. And if it went up or stayed the same. And I'm talking even a half of a pound, um, you know, like small, small amounts increments. I, it would just ruin my whole day. Mm. So that was, that was one thing. I mean, always just trying to shave the fat off of anything I ate. Like, you know, Mm. chicken breasts have that little little connective tissue and sometimes a tiny bit of fat is still on it when it comes from the butcher or whatever. And I would just methodically, you know, or a steak, like methodically shave off anything that looked like fat because I didn't want to eat it. Um, 
you know, always looking for low fat food, calorie free food, restricting what I was eating. I mean, I did do things like Weight Watchers and I counted points for a really long time, you know, so it was just a lot of behaviors around food that were extremely restrictive. Mm -hmm. Um, Things about my body and how I would, you know, you know, always trying to think about how I would look in a certain you know, item of clothing and whether it was going to show any, you know, cellulite or whether it was going to, you know, just really trying to micromanage how other people would view me. And um, how did that actually like, you know, how did you actually feel throughout all those years? Because like being in in such a state of, you know, wanting to control everything or at uh, least the food, it's such a stress factor. It's like, it's like your body's constantly in thinking that it has to survive. Right. So how did you manage with this level of stress? I don't even, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I, I think you get, I think the, the tough part is, is that when you're not feeling good in your body and not only did I have a lot of these behaviors going on, but I also just didn't feel good. I did. My energy was terrible. Mm -hmm. I didn't sleep very well. My, um, you know, my digestion was a wreck. Like I was always having bloating and feeling bad when I ate pretty much anything, you know, so it, it, it was these behaviors and not feeling good in my body, but I hadn't felt good for years. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when you don't feel good for a long time, it just becomes the norm. And so I think the stress of all of that to me just became the the baseline. And and when I look back, yeah, I mean, it was exhausting and there's no, it's no wonder. I mean, when you're in that frame of mind and these thoughts and behaviors and ways of looking at the world occupy your thinking, it also clouds the way you see the rest of the world. I mean, I was always very, very angry, very frustrated, um, always in a bad mood. I mean, just not a very happy person, which is ironic because you would think, Oh, okay, well you're trying to do all these things to really control and micromanage. And like, that's where you would find, um, you know, somebody who might be doing those things would think, well, you know, when you're in that state, like that's gonna, that's gonna help you feel better. And, Mm -hmm. And it never, it never did. So it was really, it really affected everything in my life and my relationships. Um, uh, just everything was sort of, clouded by all of this, all of this stuff, though, this kind of way of that I walked through the world. Mm. And but yet at the same time, it felt totally normal to me. Yeah, of course. Makes sense. I mean, wh- what would you say was life really all about for you back then? Mm-hmm. The quest for perfection, mm. you know, trying to be perfect in so many ways. And, and when I look back, you know, again, kind of going back to childhood. Yeah. When it, when I look back at my childhood, I was the epitome of the perfectionist child. And again, um, losing my father figure in my life, uh, my biological father not being in the picture, you know, I was always the kind of kid who just wanted to please. Mm. Um, and not, not just even being a, a people pleaser, but more of like, I'm going to be so perfect that people have to love me or mm-hmm. they have to give me attention. And that, I mean, I was a really good student and I love school, which was a really convenient way of being a perfectionist because you can just buckle down and, yeah. um, you know, all of that stuff. And so I think perfectionism on the surface and Brene Brown talks a lot about this, yeah. um, 
it is perfectionism is like armor and she, that's she, what she talks about, right? It's like the way you, you try to protect yourself from criticism and from shame and from feeling like you're not good enough. And so, you know, for me, that, that pursuit of feeling like I needed to be perfect, it felt like walking a tightrope over the Grand Canyon. Yeah. You know, it's just this like careful, careful balancing act and you're holding on so tightly and it's really the opposite of feeling freedom and giving yourself the permission to mess up and to fail. And I've really had to learn over the years how to make that happen. I mean, I think the first time, <laughs> the first time I ever started getting a bad grade in school was in college and I was taking a physics class and I just did not understand any of it. And I was getting like a D, which uh, did not happen for me. I, I graduated very high in my class. I mean, like I said, yeah. perfectionist in school. And that rocked my world that for the, you know, I was like 19 or 20 and for the yeah. first time I had to get a tutor and I was like, what is this? <laughs> and, and that, that was sort of one of the first experiences I had with really feeling like I was not, I, I was not, you know, I couldn't control everything. Like I had to, or it couldn't just be perfection. I had yeah. to really cope with things. I had to find ways of dealing with. How did you actually feel when you got that D? Well, I actually turned out to, that I got a B, um, I think at the end of it, but yeah. there was a huge, there was a huge curve. I think it was graded on and I did go get a tutor. Um, you know, so I, I did take some of those steps to try to improve my situation, but for the first time in my life, I couldn't just like, you know, buckle down on my own. I had to really look for resources, look for help outside myself and ask for that help. And I think that was, a. Uh, that was one of the very first experiences that I remember really having to try very hard. I mean, I, I worked hard and I liked school, yeah. but you get to really think, well, I can't just willpower my way through this. Mm -hmm. I need to look for help. So over the years and in, in, in throughout my twenties and thirties, I really had to ease out of perfection and yeah. perfectionism in the pursuit of that. And I think a lot of what, transpired in the last 10 years has been letting go of that right that tight control mm -hmm. um, opening up to criticism those yeah. sorts of things and what would you say was the darkest place that this mm -hmm. oh let's say really harsh self-criticism and self-judgment really took you to yeah that's such a good question I think uh, when I was probably is probably about 10 years ago. Um, you know, when I look back at kind of what was going on with my life, my, so my second marriage was falling apart. Mm -hmm. Um, my relationship was not good. That was in incredibly stressful and painful for so many reasons. And, you know, I, I was at the time I had sort of started to do more and more, um, endurance training. So I was an endurance athlete for about eight years. And over those eight years, it started off as, oh, I'll do some fun mountain biking. And that turned into racing and short distance racing turned into longer distance racing. And it eventually became a way for me to sort of numb myself to the pain and the, the things going on in my life. And the very sort of end of that was me becoming a triathlete for a season and <laughs> doing more training yeah. on top of 
right? So you, instead of just racing bikes, then I was also swimming and running mm-hmm. on top of that. And I did a race in Lake Tahoe in California. And my uh, now ex-husband took a picture of me at this waterfall. And this was sort of one of the, the I would say, like rock bottom moments of seeing this photo of myself. And I look back and I'm like, girl, you were malnourished and needed to eat. And, mm-hmm. you know, my body was cannibalizing my own muscle tissue because I wasn't eating enough food. Oh, and wow. I, I mean, you just, I looked very different from what I look like today, but yet I looked at that photo and I remember being in the car and seeing it and thinking, you are disgusting. Mm. And, and that for me was like a really low moment of, is this going to continue? I mean, I don't know. This is terrible. And so we did end up getting divorced and, um, in and amongst that time, I, I had started doing CrossFit and started lifting weights and was changing the way I was eating and, and things started to feel better. But I think just that realization of feeling really hopeless of, of, again, is this the way my life is going to be? I guess, I guess Mm -hmm. it is, you know, it's never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. And I remember in that season, when I was racing, I got on the scale one morning and I, I sort of had a number and I don't, I don't like to say what the number is because yeah. I don't want to, you know, comparison is a moot point yeah, with yeah. this, but I did have that number in my mind of if I can just get to this weight, like I'm going to be good. Mm. And I remember stepping on the scale that morning and seeing that number. And I think I was happy for about five minutes and then had this crushing realization that my life still, like I still wasn't happy. Mm. You know, like none of the, none of the stuff that I, I hadn't dealt with, like, all that stuff was still there in my life. All of that negative, like negative self-talk, self-limiting beliefs, all of the things that I was carrying around, uh, you know, this, again, this, the pressure I was putting on myself to be perfect, like all these things were still there. Yeah. And I, and And, I'm, and I'm so happy that you're mentioning that because I feel that so often when we, when we don't work, let's say on, on ourselves and our awareness on, you know, where we're coming from uh, and I mean our personal story and mm-hmm. we don't look at really what are the goals that we want to fulfill or achieve and why like we're working towards something and then like you said you you achieve it and then you're just like okay I imagine this a little bit differently <laughs> is that all there is and so and now what And Mm -hmm. then you realize, you know, it was just like a number, like you said, or some empty goal. And you realize that, you know, life still goes on. So what do I do now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that that was a huge, um, I don't, I wouldn't say things changed right then, Mm -hmm. but looking back, what I started to incorporate in my life was other ways of trying to look at the things I wanted to achieve, right? So could I stay invested in in, in the process, in the, all of that, right. The the outcome is so sexy and it's like, whether you want to, I don't know, you want to get to a certain weight or you want to squat a certain weight or you want to get a job promotion or whatever Mm -hmm. is the goal you want to achieve. It's like the pursuit of that goal is so dopamine driven and the anticipation of meeting the goal is so alluring. But then when you actually get to that thing, like you said, yes, life does go on. And so then Mm -hmm. you're left with this, like, well, what now? Mm -hmm. And I always ask people, you know, would you still be doing what you're doing, even if you didn't get the handsome payoff at the end? Yeah. And 
it's a tough question because yeah. a lot of the stuff that we're motivated to do is like having a purpose and having a why matters. Yep. But when it's very externally driven, you you can be really jerked around by that by that goal because if you don't meet that outcome goal, then you think, "Well, I'm a failure. What's wrong with me? Yeah. Why isn't this happening as quickly as I thought it would?" Um, but if you stay more invested in the process and mm-hmm. you know all the things that get you to that that point, those behaviors, the healthy things in your life, like whatever that looks like, um, and and you would do it even if you didn't get the payoff. I feel like that's so much more rewarding and so much more forgiving. Yeah. And so when was the moment that you, or was that the moment that you realized that your happiness is not really, you know, defined by a number or was that at a later point? Because this is also something that I can identify or observe in so many people. It's like, I will be happy when, Mm-hmm. instead of realizing dude you can be freaking happy right now you know yeah. <laughs> you can choose yeah. that it's a choice and it's all it just depends on you it doesn't depend on anything external or achieving something mm-hmm. I don't think it was that exact moment I would like to think it was you know <laughs> this this big dramatic like realization yeah. for me I think that was much more gradual mm-hmm. and and it it did take for me eating the foods that made my body feel better because when my body felt better, then my mind felt better. And over time I moved away from doing all the endurance training that I was doing, mm-hmm. um, which was my way of sort of escaping my own painful things that I was dealing with in my life. Yeah. And I realized I was using it in that way. Um, and I started lifting weights. I was really experiencing that and how it changed so many things. It changed my mindset. It changed my confidence. It was a really great tool for me to experience. And so that stuff all happened gradually. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wish it was just like one aha moment is clicked in my brain, but it, I don't, it, it wasn't, I mean, it was sort of a slow transformation over a period of many months mm-hmm. and I mean, it's still on, it still is happening. I mean, I still learn and and change and I've grown in so many ways and I'm constantly realizing what my own (laughs) hangups and and fears are, right? It's not like you just arrive and you're here and you never have to deal with anything and your life's perfect. So it's an ongoing process, but I think really um, the year 2010 was a huge turning point with all of that stuff Mm -hmm. and, you know, just continuing to show up and, engage in the, like I said, engage in the process and do the things that were really making me feel good, right? My, making my body feel better, that were making my energy feel better, um, and really taking care of myself because for a long time I didn't do that. And I think that that for me was a huge stepping stone to then dealing with some of the other issues, the mindset stuff, the perfection, you know, trying to uncover all of those layers and, and really work through them. And um, I love, I love that you're saying that like the, the several points, like realizing that really, you know, self-development is really a process. I think mm-hmm. of course you can have big aha moments where you can, you can really, let's say uncover a big belief that is stopping you. Right. But regardless of that, you will f- encounter the next one in a couple of days, weeks, months, whatever. So you will never really stop um, mm-hmm. uh, uncovering parts of yourself, right? 
And um, also the fact, and this is, I think, something that we as women neglect to do a lot, um, taking care of ourselves first and prioritizing mm -hmm. our well-being. Because like you mentioned, when you, when you get into a better state for yourself, when you take care of yourself, then you can also actually, you know, actually be fully present for either working on yourself uncovering things of uh, focusing um doing the mind work but also being like really present for all the other people in your life yes absolutely i it's a very cliche but the, that saying you know you can't pour from an empty cup yeah is so very important and i think the challenge is that we are faced with so many fomo fear of missing out moments in our lives now that there's I mean, social media allows us to easily compare, but the world is just the pace of the, at which things move is so quickly. Yeah. Um, it's easy for us to feel like we're constantly missing out and we constantly need to be doing all these things and busier is better and we need to fill every moment. And, you know, I, it is so true if you're, if you're really depleted and you feel like you have to say yes to everything mm. and you don't have any boundaries, people are going to take advantage of that. And I think it's very difficult to start to getting yourself out of that situation if, if that's become your norm. But even the most basic types of self-care, like getting enough sleep, um, you know, eating at regular intervals, like eating enough food, getting some sunlight, getting outside. Yeah. I mean, these are very, very, very basic things. But having those simple practices in your life can be so powerful because yes. if you don't feel good, then you're like, it's so hard to just imagine, you know, you don't, you wake up, it's so hard to wake up. You go to a job that really drains you. You're sort of like working all day without taking a break. You go home, yeah. you have all these, all these things that you really don't want to do, right? You're like, oh, I signed up for this thing. I don't really like it. I just, but I can't get out of it now. And imagine if we started making things a priority, in terms of like how important those things were to us. And I mean, there is, again, there's an aspect here of privilege because not everybody has yes. that time freedom. I mean, it, some people are literally are working two or three jobs just to make their ends meet. And so I just really, I just shudder a little bit when, when people are like, but we all have the same time in the day. And I'm like, not really. Um, you know, so there, 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 it's not the same for everyone, but, um, you know, looking at the free time that you do have, like, how are you spending it? Are you saying yes to things that you really are? They're not that important, but they don't align with what's important to you. You feel like you have to, you feel obligated. You say yes. And you're like, Oh, I don't really want to do this thing. I think that's all really important to, to ask yourself. Yeah. And so what were some of the things that you actually started uh, doing, uh, to actually nurture yourself and to treat yourself better. And I, I think, uh, food was one, one big factor, but mm -hmm. how did you actually, you know, overcome a little bit this fear of, you know, for example, eating fats because not every fat is bad. Right. But, you know, allowing yourself to also indulge in foods that you might have thought earlier or before like no 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 this is no mm -hmm. good um so like what was the combination out of the things that you did and how you overcame maybe let's say them being in a position to like your previous self mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I feel like for me, it came down to the question, what do I have to lose? Mm. And that sort of guided what I was doing. Um, I will say that, you know, looking back again, this is 10 years ago now, yeah. looking back at the very beginning of this process for myself, the way I ate back then is, I mean, it is similar, but it's also different to what I, what I eat now and the way I eat now. I mean, the way I eat now is much more intuitive. Um, at the time I sort of used like, you know, I was used to very sort of strict eat this, don't eat that type Mm -hmm. of way of eating. Um, looking for rules, right. Looking for that external guidance Mm. because I didn't, didn't yet really trust myself. So when, when I found out about paleo, I thought, okay, well, this is a, I'm going to try this again. What do I have to lose? Mm -hmm. But the way I started introducing myself to that way of eating was from a very strict standpoint, because I, you know, for somebody who had been so strict and restrictive with eating, it would have been a wild departure for me to just say, well, now I intuitively eat. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't know if I could have made that switch overnight. And so I did switch to, again, it was sort of like, eat this, don't eat that. Mm-hmm. Real whole foods and focusing on that and nutrient density was way higher and learning to, to eat differently and eating fats and, and all these things that previously kind of scared me. But I think, you know, that was, that had been, that was a process for me. So at the beginning it was quite strict. And then over time I like relaxed a little bit. And then over time that shifted into more of like, yeah, reintroducing some of the foods that I, Mm -hmm. that I took away when I became paleo, because I sort of traded one set of don't eat this for another. Mm -hmm. And then really learned a little bit more, like, how do these foods actually make me feel? How do they affect my energy levels? How do they affect my body and my own personal chemistry mm. and all this stuff? So mm-hmm. again, it, it was a, a long process of figuring that stuff out. Um, also, you know, trying to get more sleep was huge. Mm. I never really thought sleep was that important. And I had a high stress job at the time I was uh, working for school district. I was mm-hmm. teaching high school and, yeah, I mean, just a really stressful job. And yet I didn't think sleep mattered all that much. I mean, I would hit the snooze button like 10,000 times and drag out of bed and kind of get my day started, but not feel very energetic. Yeah. And then by about three in the afternoon, I would need to, I, every day would leave school, go to the 7-Eleven down the street, get Coke Zero and M&Ms for energy, erase of sugar and caffeine. And, and use that. And so I, I gradually started changing those things and sleeping more and removing some of those, you know, energy crutches as I started to feel like I had more energy. And then I think the last kind of pillar of all of that for me that really changed was learning to lift weights and not focusing on what my body looked like, the size mm-hmm. of my body or my own body weight but really thinking about what can I do with mm. this body? Um, what could I challenge myself to learn? What could I do that was different? I mean, I think everybody when they're a kid has like kicked up against the wall and done a kind of like a handstand. Well, when I started back doing that kind of fitness, I yeah. hadn't done that in years. And I was like, I'm so terrified to do that. <laughs> yeah. I know um, that feeling. <laughs> Right. So you're just like, wow, that's so scary. And, and, um, you know, so I had all this fitness in one area, but it didn't translate over into other areas. So I, I was looking at 
fitness from those perspectives of what skills can I learn and how strong can I get? Can I just focus on becoming stronger? Mm. And I think that once you kind of, again, this is a process for people. Yes. There is some, there is an important aspect to the conversation of saying, well, I mean, that's, that's like a stepping stone of like, we can focus on what our bodies can do, not just what they look like, but having all of our self-worth tied up in what we can do is also a little bit tricky because then if we can no longer do that thing Mm. or we choose not to do that thing any longer, or we get hurt and we can't do that thing, what then? So, but again, a bridge, it it had that experience and like learning how to lift weights and coming to this like natural, healthy body weight for me, which I, you know, I did gain weight. Um, because I was very undernourished and had lost a lot of muscle mass and I just, my body just sort of naturally is built that way. But if I had tried to micromanage what my weight was in that, (laughs) in that time, right? Like I'm just trading one set of problems for another or in a new context. So for me, yes, focusing on like, how much can I squat? Like, Mm. how's my deadlift going? Or like, what skills have I learned? Can I do a ring dip? All these things that I was playing around with gave me the freedom to step away from the scale, to step away from a sport that frankly prioritizes low, low weight bodies. Um, because the faster you can ride up a hill, you're going to be the winner. (laughs) And I was, you know, I was racing. I wasn't a professional, but I really cared about how I was doing and Mm. wanted to be the fastest I could be. And with lifting weights, that didn't matter. It was actually how strong can I get? And I sort of let go of, you know, what's going on with my weight and my weight has been consistent for like the last, <laughs> I don't even know, five years, six years, six years or so. Yeah. Um, it's, you so, know, it's it, so funny that when you stop paying attention to it, then it's somehow, you know, um, how do you say that in English? It, it just like, um, oh, weighs in at a certain just point. Like I I, yeah, I, I personally a... never check my weight like I don't care like I, I care how I feel in my body but not like about the number but it's always almost the same yeah yeah and I don't I mean I very 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 seldomly weigh myself um yeah. I actually think our scale is we have a scale um we <laughs> from many years ago. And I think it's actually broken. now. (laughs) I pulled, I pulled it out to weigh a suitcase not too long ago and it wasn't working. So, um, I think, um, for me again, that was a stepping stone. And now, yes, I have learned to, to, I have learned to understand that I have worth and value Mm. and all that stuff, regardless of what my body looks like or what it can do. Um, but for me paying attention to what I look like or having it be like I have to be a certain weight mm-hmm. uh, is not a good place for me to go back to. Yeah. And recently this happened where I was at the doctor. Uh, I saw a new doctor and they were like, oh, well, like all your health stuff looks good. You look healthy. You seem like you're doing really well. Oh, but you actually could use, stand to lose a few pounds according to the BMI. And I just thought this is not a good conversation for me to be having. And even at that moment, after all these years of disentangling myself from being a specific body weight and, you know, thinking and knowing that body weight does not definitively tell its health status and all that stuff that I know, I still had a moment of like, are they, is she right? Mm. Like, 
you know, and it really caused me to think. And luckily, having built this resilience over time, I realized, no, I'm not going to go out and start restricting my food. That's not a good thing for me to do. Like, I was able to rely on all these skills that I had built over time. But I just, um, you know, that that sort of conversation, it's not like this stuff doesn't ever affect me anymore. But it's about how you deal with it now. Yeah. So, and it does come up a lot less frequently. So when people ask, and this is kind of per your question earlier, Mm -hmm. does it just change? And I think for me, it's been like a, it's like a slow, gradual fading over time. And I think for most people that are going through changing the way they look at food or changing the way they look at exercise, because Mm -hmm. for me, it was always restriction and punishment, restriction Mm -hmm. and punishment more of an intuitive way of eating a way that a way of eating that supports nourishment, a way of movement. That is something that I love to do that feels good in my body. That's a very, that's been a very slow process. And unfortunately in our world, we are taught that all these changes with diet and exercise and all this stuff are going to happen overnight. And we, right. We want like it, we're taught that it it could be a quick result. I mean, that's what we're, that's (laughs) what we are told by all this marketing, like it's going to happen tomorrow. And, and that just makes people all the more frustrated when it doesn't. Yeah. I hate the quick fix solution. And I think this is very important to mention. And it doesn't matter whether it has to do with your health situation, with your relationship, with your career, your business, whatever, there is no quick fix. (laughs) Things just take time people. And, um, even it doesn't matter how strong we desire it to, you know, be different in a week or in a day, but things just take time. And I'm, I strongly believe that, you know, we, we, things happen for a reason and we always get like things that we're maybe struggling with. This is like the next step that you're supposed to overcome, that you're supposed to learn from, and then you're ready to tackle the next thing and then the mm-hmm. next thing and so on and so forth. And so what I'm curious about when was a moment or maybe the first moment when you actually looked at yourself in the mirror and you actually, you said, you know what? I actually like myself. Mm. I am, I would say it was probably a, probably about a year or so into lifting weights and doing CrossFit at the time. Mm -hmm. And, and that sort of thing, because I was again, sort of focused on what I could do. And I just thought, wow, like, my body has allowed me to do these things, which is really cool. Um, I remember, gosh, I don't remember the exact year. It was probably, a, mm, it was probably about two years after I started. There was a giant obstacle course here mm-hmm. in San Diego for the Navy SEALs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's what they use in their buds training. And I had a friend who lived in town that I did CrossFit with and her and her husband were in the Navy and they were like, do you want to go do this obstacle course? And I thought, okay, like I, can I do this stuff? Because imagine, imagine a playground for children multiplied by like everything's 10 times bigger and longer and scarier. And so I thought, okay. And I think that that was one of the moments where I really thought, and it wasn't a mirror moment, but it was really like, wow. And I did every obstacle except one. And Mm -hmm. I just thought, holy cow. I mean, I never thought I could do a pull up. Mm -hmm. I never thought I could do a climb a rope. I mean, all these things, like I never felt strong. And that was one of the experiences I had where I was just so proud of myself for coming so far. Mm -hmm. And, and that was one of the experiences that I had 
probably a year or two into into this, you know, changing mm-hmm. all these things in my life where I just thought, wow, I mean, I just did all these things that I never thought I could do. Yeah. And and I feel so great. Like I feel so strong and I feel so like I, I can accomplish these things. And so that was probably one of the biggest moments. Um, but yeah, I, there were lots of times where I just thought, okay, like this is great, but I will say, I mean, for me, Mm -hmm. I don't spend, I think we talk a lot about, we need to love ourselves and like Mm -hmm. love everything about ourselves. And I think that when you are somebody like me who was in such a dark, place of hating their body and hating all these things and not feeling like you're not good enough. The idea that you need to swing to self-love and be like, I love everything about my body. And I love the Mm -hmm. fact that I, you know, I got bigger or I love the fact that I have cellulite or, you know, I think that that idea of loving Mm -hmm. ourselves can be a little bit tricky and feel really, really hard. And so I will say, I appreciate and respect my body for Mm -hmm. what it can do. I think I look good, but I don't spend, I spend most of my time in a very neutral place where I don't actually think a lot about my body anymore. Mm -hmm. And that to me is very freeing because if it's, you know, when we're in this place of negative, like, body obsession, there is kind of the, the reverse, which is feeling like you're, you're just always thinking about how you look, even if you think you look mm-hmm. really good and always caring about, you know, like, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about our appearance or like, if you care about your appearance, you're wrong. But what I'm saying is like the degree to which this occupies your mind, if yeah. you spend all of your time in the opposite place, like, is that a good place to be? I don't really know. So for me, it looks about like 80% being in a very neutral place where I respect my body and take care of mm-hmm. it and appreciate it. I would say about 10% of the time I feel like a garbage human and I'm like, you know, like, Oh, this would be so much easier if I look different. Um, and then about 10% of the time I feel like, like, dang, you look good today. Mm. Steph. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's usually when I'm ovulating, which is not surprising, but yeah, I think you know, the, I, the most important thing is to really not let it define you. You know, it's, like like you said the body something can happen to you tomorrow or an accident or whatever and then your body will not be the same or you know you're gonna have a if you're having a baby you know you're get a c-section your body will not look the same so mm-hmm. it's it's about like you know i feel like appreciating like you said you as a person loving yourself your soul as a person but not let it def- like have this great attachment to the physical body Yeah. Well, and our Western society likes to tell us that that we're going to be forever youthful, right? Like that's, (laughs) of course, that's what capitalism um, (laughs) tells us. Right. And in like all of, so somebody asked me the other day, like, you know, is, is it wrong to want to like do anti-aging skincare? And I was like, well, I mean, if you think that it's going to, if you looking youthful forever is the only way that you're going to be valued then perhaps if you're like, no, I actually need to take care of my skin because of all these different reasons. And then that's a quite a different place. So we can eat well and move our bodies and do these things because we care about ourselves and we're taking care of our physical vessel, but we can just as easily use food and exercise as punishment and restriction. So it's not necessarily, 
the thing. It's how we use it in our lives and the meaning that it holds. And I think for me, like really feeling gratitude and tuning into gratitude mm-hmm. for, like you said, I mean, I have two legs that carry me around. I'm so lucky. Some people don't have that. Yes. They've, they've lost it and they've lost something in an accident or they never had it from birth or whatever it is. And so it's just really tuning into the things that you are grateful for, the things that you do have and using that as a a place to care for yourself, I think is so, so, so important. And yes, your body is going to change over time. Like ladies, I hate to tell you, but you're not going to be the same weight at 40 that you were at 14. It's just not (laughs) What happens? What do you yeah. mean? <laughs> I know, right? The media but is lying to me. I can't believe this. It's um, but it's so and, and yeah, but it's and true. Yes, you are more than what your body can, even what it looks like or what it can do. And you know, recently I I put together something where I I put together fifty words that you can use to describe yourself other than how you look. Mm. You know, um, because I love that. We tend to describe people, you know, it's so easy to describe other people based on how they look because it's like what we Mm -hmm. see and we don't know their inner world. But at the same time, I think that's often a reflection of what's going on with us. And if we're only ever thinking about how we look and how we present to the world and all of that stuff, that can be really tricky. So, you know, I came up with 50 different ways that you can describe things about yourself that have nothing to do with how you look in your body and it's been a really interesting experiment for people to participate in that and, and think of that in their own lives because we are so much more than, yeah, like our body carries us around. Yes, it's our home, but it's just one tiny fraction of who we are. Yes, exactly. So shifting gears a little bit because not only, I mean, have you made this huge, let's say, even though it took it took time, but I, f- I feel like time is <laughs> is out of the equation when you know you you're able to get to a place where you really feel like good about yourself. Um, because another thing that you really you know are thriving at is really like the business side. Um, like you mentioned earlier, you've been a high school teacher for for biology and chemistry actually for like I think over twelve mm-hmm. years or so, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I remember, when you got to know about the paleo diet, then you started a blog and somehow that developed into, you know, what is now Steph Godro and, and the whole brand around you. So mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear, like, first of all, you know, what made you take that step and actually realize, you know, this is something bigger than just a hobby and me sharing about my, let's say, food or nutrition. Um mm-hmm. And what has allowed you to really grow to a level where, I mean, we're talking about having 200,000 followers on Instagram. Longevity and time <laughs> is the biggest thing. I mean, that, I've had my Instagram for eight years, which is a long time. Wow. And uh, after I, re- I sort of rebranded my Instagram last year ahead mm-hmm. of rebranding my website about six months earlier. And I, I mean, I've lost a huge number of people have have decided that, you know, what I'm doing now Mm. isn't for them, which is very interesting. So I think it's important to mention that like my business has been, has gone in various stages. And so, yes, I started a paleo food blog in 2011. Mm -hmm. Uh, Prior to that, I was blogging on 
an old, old blog that I had. I think I started in 2009 where I was writing about mountain biking, actually. And I would bring recipes with me. We would get together and ride bikes with friends and I would mm-hmm. bring stuff and people would ask me, what are the recipes? So I would write <laughs> the recipes down. And over time, uh, and I don't remember who it, it was that told me this, but somebody said, you should start a food blog. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally that simple. It was, but it was somebody saying, oh, like you'd be good at this. Yeah. You like already writing recipes. Like why not just start a food blog? And I thought, yeah, I guess why not? Um, so in my spare time, I was blogging. I was, like you said, teaching full time. I did that for 12 years. And on the weekends, I would write recipes or on vacations or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And it was just a side thing. But over time, more and more people started started to ask me, they started to ask me about how do you do this? How did you do it? How do I make this transition? Mm-hmm. And that is what initially gave me the the inkling that I could maybe do this as a job. But I didn't know anything about business. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> I started teaching when I was 21 and right out of college. Yeah. I mean, it was my first and only career up to that point. And so I just thought, I mean, I don't even know. Can I do this? I don't have any experience in running my own business. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about online business. And I had by chance found out about B-School, which is how you and I connected yeah. in, in, in that group. But I, that was sort of my boot camp of how I could do this. But I, it took me between the time I realized that I wasn't super happy teaching. Mm-hmm. And when I actually left the classroom was about a year and a half worth of time. And so in that time, like I became a certified nutritionist. I, um, you know, took my web, so was planning to take my website to, or my blog to like a real website and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And so I had to put a lot of, went to, you know, did B school and, and learn more about business. And so I did have a time where I was like saving money to quit my job. I was yeah. getting a more education. I was making that transitional step, but it was really, you know, had, I don't even know, like I said, I don't remember who it was. I think it was my friend, Allison, maybe, but somebody said, you should do this. Had someone not said that, I don't even know if I would have entered into my mind mm. that I could do this as, as a job, but my bit, my business has changed a lot over time. I mean, I would say around 2013, 2014, paleo was still like rapidly growing. There were like a lot of people who were just finding out about it. If I compared my website traffic to what I had back then, I, and I sometimes do this to myself and I'm like, okay, this is really not productive. Um, this is very much an ego thing that you're indulging in, right? Thinking, oh, it was so much more back then. Mm. What's wrong with why isn't it growing and all these things and Google was different back then. And I mean, algorithms are a thing now that weren't a thing back then. And all this stuff has, you know, so my business has changed a lot thing. You know, my website used to be primarily traffic that came for recipes Mm. and now it's not. And now I have a podcast that (laughs) I've had for the last four years that brings me probably more, most new people into my world that I didn't have back then. And, you know, I have different revenue streams than I had back then. And I have a new book coming out that's not just a cookbook. I mean, there are so many things that have changed. And I think it's easy to look at people who have been in the game for a long time. And like I said, longevity is just a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. And part of that goes, part of what goes into that is being a good good problem solver, Mm. right? Being creative, being light enough on your feet to shift in the online space as things do change 
defining what success is for yourself. What does that mean? I've become much more purpose aligned than metrics aligned. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that I'm not thinking like, how am I going to make money? Um, Because I need to pay my bills. But at the same time, I really try to choose opportunities now that are in alignment with my values. Whereas before, when I first started out, it was like, I'm trying to get my name out there, trying to, you know, have people find out more about me. And I would do pretty much anything and everything to get, you know, exposure or Mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it. And, And so over time, I've been able to whittle that down and do things that are really aligned to what I want to do and making sure it's very purposeful and and all that stuff but and it has taken time a tur- like things have, things have tur- you know there have been lots of ups and downs yeah. along that along that path and I'm curious do you actually can you I mean I don't know if you can even measure it but from what you feel maybe from your from your impression is following things that are really in alignment with your purpose with your values is that giving you more return than taking those opportunities that might have seemed, you know, like nice and uh, mm-hmm. giving you exposure and doing it for those kind of reasons. Like, do you see a difference in the return that you're getting for what you're putting out there with the different approaches? Mm. I think over time I've found, you know, it's been finding people and attracting people to what I'm doing that are in alignment with what mm-hmm. I am doing and yeah. what I'm good at. Um, so there's been that and working less hard to convince people of like why I'm a, a good person for them to follow. Right. Mm. Um, so becoming more clear on that and just saying, this is who I am and what I do. And if I'm not for you, you know, that's okay. We can have different likes and different opinions, but yeah. I'm just not your person, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm just not, not for you. And there's somebody for you out there, but I'm not her. So I think there's been that, but I think more than anything else, it's been my own peace of mind, honestly. Mm. You know, I used to do one-on-one coaching, and I'll give you an example. And occasionally I would take a client because I needed the money. And, or I thought maybe I can help them and, and change who they, you know, change, help them change. Mm. And Nine times out of 10, if that person was not a really good fit from the beginning, it ended up feeling so hard and so Mm. arduous and like such a battle and which is very, very difficult. And I think now more than anything, I do value my peace of mind. Mm -hmm. I do value whether I feel energized by the work that I'm doing. I don't know if it's getting older. I mean, I'm 40 now. Like I don't want to spend my time doing stuff that really doesn't resonate with me. Um, and, and so that's more of how I'm approaching my business these days, but it's scary. I'll tell you, I'm scared like every day. Um, (laughs) because you know, there is always that internal debate of like, should I do this? Cause it could bring me money, but then it's, it, it is thinking about which opportunities are the ones that are really going to resonate with me, make me feel aligned, make me feel like I am working toward my purpose. And that was a big reason of why I rebranded. Mm-hmm. And it, it was because I wasn't feeling a lot of resonance with just like the, the paleo label anymore. And it's yeah. not, it's not the fault of that community or the movement. It's just like, I'm feeling led in, in a slightly different direction. And that's where I want to go. Mm. And I think so many people in business and in life in general hold on to things that are no longer serving them 
and don't feel very aligned because they're, I mean, we're afraid, we're fearful, and that's yeah. a normal response. But being able to have the awareness to step back and kind of do that like out of body experience mm-hmm. where you're looking at yourself and all the things you're, all the things you're doing and saying like, am I doing these, for, doing this for the right reasons? Yeah. Is this really bringing me more joy or more peace in my life or more energy or whatever it is because we're all working, but how can I choose? Because I do have that autonomy. I do work for myself. Yeah. How can I choose the things that feel very resonant to me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's in the end, I feel like it's always like, do you choose between your mind or your heart? It's like, do I choose mm-hmm. the rational thing that I know will give me a safe check next month? Or do I stick to, you know, what I feel in my gut and in my heart that is right for me? And so actually, um, you've launched, I mentioned in the beginning, you've launched a new book that is going a little bit in a different direction than your previous books. Um, it's mm-hmm. called The Core Four, and uh, you're teaching women there how to embrace their body and own their power with no BS, uh, shame-free nutrition and fitness. And so mm-hmm. you actually do this by focusing on the four areas, like eating nutritious food, strengthening strengthening your body, rechanging, uh, recharging your energy, getting your mindset right. And so... Could you share with us, you know, what made this book so important for you? Also, when you look back on the other books, maybe that you've published and um, Mm -hmm. what is maybe an area that somebody who's especially struggling with, you know, body shame, what is some of the, what, what is, what is one of the four areas that somebody should start with actually from your point of view? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the book actually has its roots for in back four years. So if we go back four years to 2015, um, again, I started working for myself in 2013 and I was building my website mm-hmm. and building my business. And in 2014, I wrote my first print book, which was the performance paleo cookbook. So very aligned to what I was doing at the time, lots of recipes. And I had to focus on athletes and people who were active and wanted to incorporate paleo into their lives as somebody who's very physically active. And in, as I did all that, but then in 20, early 2015, I really put, wanted to put together a program online to help people incorporate this stuff into their lives a little bit more and just more than just food. So it was food and fitness and mindset. Mm -hmm. And I created that program in 2015. It had a different name at the time. And we started, um, I started group coaching people Mm -hmm. and it was very interesting to see that sometimes people would come in thinking, Oh, if I just like fix my food, like everything is going to be better. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, um, the things that happened as a result were very surprising. They were like, Oh, I feel, you know, I've gained a lot of confidence or I've, you know, I have gotten stronger or I was able to make this big move in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't just, again, I, I think the sort of typical food and, and nutrition programs, things are changing, but back then it was still very like focused on a, on a physical outcome. Like I've mm. lost this many dress sizes or I am, have lost this much weight, even in the paleo community and in you know the ancestral community, I still feel like people were really holding on to, um, very, everybody wants like a very easy to show transformation mm-hmm. and human beings love transformation pictures and shows. I mean, think of the most popular TV out there. It's like, look at this big transformation. Yeah. And 
and so uh, through coaching that program over the years, I started to realize, and eventually we added that fourth pillar of energy, mm-hmm. but I, I thought about, you know, what are the things that people are really struggling with in, in terms of behavior change, in terms of habits? Mm. And a lot of it was like, you know, only focusing on one area and dialing in super hard. So I still have this with my community and I try to meet them with the utmost of compassion because I feel like I was there too. Mm-hmm. But we're getting people who are like, stressing out over five grams of carbs, you know, should I reduce it? Should I improve? Should I make it higher? Should I make it lower? And, but then they're really hardcore focusing for a long time on one area at the expense of the others. Mm -hmm. And no, I mean, I don't want everybody to feel like they have to do all these things equally in their life. What I really challenge people to do is look for areas that they can improve. Mm-hmm. And these four areas are not the only four areas that matter. Obviously, things like connection and personal development mm-hmm. and spirituality, and that's all in this as well. But, you know, to narrow it down for me to the things that made the biggest difference for myself and for all the people who have gone through this program, it is these four areas having mm-hmm. some having a baseline where you can come back to, even if life gets a little bit sideways, you get a little bit wonky, um, you go through a stressful period of time, can you still come back to some of these core behaviors, these core things that make you feel really good without the hyper focus and the hyper restriction? So, you know, looking for the things that are really going to move the dial uh, move the needle in a, in a big way. So we get a lot of people, for example, that are, uh, really like their food's pretty dialed and they're, um, they're working out, but they're not getting a lot of sleep or they are so focused on fitness that they're actually overdoing it with exercise, which mm. doesn't sound like a thing, but in, you know, we, we praise people who are like, Oh, you're so fit. You're so dedicated. Well, if you already have a really stressful life, yes, I know movement can be a stress reliever, but what kind of movement are you doing? If you're super stressed, you're not feeling good, you have something going on in your life, then a lot of high intensity or like really long distance exercise may not be the best mm-hmm. fit for you. So like thinking about these things and how it can help you feel better um, and, and personalizing it. So that's what we're, what we're, you know, when I, so I took that, all that stuff and, and decided to pitch it to my, um, literary agents as a mm-hmm. book, we were, we initially were talking about doing a stupid, easy paleo book. And this goes back three, three years or so. Yeah. We started talking about this book and I just kept thinking, I don't want to do a stupid, easy paleo book. Like I just didn't feel aligned to mm-hmm. it at all. So we took a break during that process. And then we, I came back to them in 2017 and I said, okay, I have one more idea to, to pitch you. I really want to do my program, but in a book form. And they were like, okay, like, let's do that. But mm. it's, it's been a long road. <clears throat> and I think ultimately what I want, you know, so the, what of the book are the four pillars and mm-hmm. you describe what those are, but like, what's the why of the book? Why, mm-hmm. why should we care? And I think, again, when I look at my own experience, Experience. When I look at my community, I had a, a lot of women who are struggling with these demons, right, of the body perfection and feeling so disempowered and like they can't listen to themselves. And, you know, we've been following the, these rules for so long. We don't even have we're not in touch with our own yes. inner voice and, and all of these things. It's really how can we 
give women more freedom to live their lives. Yes, like we want to take care of our physical and emotional and mental well-being. That's all very, very important. But how do we go about doing that? And what are the outcomes that we're searching for? Mm -hmm. Is Is that outcome perfection? Is it having the perfect body? Is it you know, finding, um, worth and how, you know, we look or perform and, or are we able to do these things as we respect ourselves and we, yes, we do embrace who we are and we are able to tap into our intuition. Again, we're able to find a place where we do these things because they feel good for us. And it's not using food and nutrition or sorry, food and fitness as, as a punishment or yeah. a restriction. So Um, that's what the book goes into. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that it gives women some guidance. It's not just one of those books where you just read and gather information. There is, um, a 30 day experience at the end of it, where Mm -hmm. I'm just challenging you once, uh, once a day to do something related to these four pillars. That's awesome. You know, so it's even to get started, just follow the book. You know, if you're like, but I don't know what to do first, just follow, just follow, the <laughs> just, plan. Read. just follow just the read plan girl. and yeah. do one thing a day and, and see how you can then gather those tools and experience them. And then you get to decide like, what do I want to implement more in my life? What mm. do I want to explore more in my life? What am I not ready for? What didn't really feel good for me? I can put that aside for now. And, and I think having that experience is so very powerful. So yeah, yeah that's what the book is all about. I love that. So everybody who's interested, again, it's called um, The Core Four, Embrace Your Body and Own Your Power with No BS, Shame-Free Nutrition and Fitness. Mm -hmm. And um, when you look at all the experience that you've made and maybe also, you know, the, the stories and the feedback that you've seen with women that you've worked together with, what would be one message that you would like every woman to know in the world if you had Mm. the power to give that to them? (laughs) Oh gosh, there's so many things that I would want to say, but I would just want to tell them that they're not alone. Mm. You're not alone. If you feel like you've been struggling with these things, you've been battling with these things, you're not alone. It's not your fault. Um, but you do have the power to make change. And you can take those steps to feeling better, whether that's picking up this book or hiring a therapist mm. or, you know, what, whatever that looks like for you. But it's not without hope and you're not alone. Yeah, I love that. And this is also one of the intentions uh, for me with the podcast to really show that, you know, um, whatever it is you're going through you are like, you are not by yourself with the story. There's other women who are experiencing the same thing. And especially women who have overcame that and, um, who are showing you that, you know, things are possible for you too. Mm-hmm. And so when you, when you look then at yourself, at your, let's say six year old self, what would be three pieces of wisdom that you would, would you would have liked to pass on to her and her to know about life and uh, about herself maybe? Yeah, that's such a good question. Uh, I think the first would be to listen to your intuition. Mm. That's really important. I think the second one would be that um, 
a lot of the things that you worry about, you spend time worrying about, never end up happening. <laughs> yeah, it's so, so true. So stupid, but so, so true. Lots to let go of some of the worry. And then I think the third thing would be um, that love is very important. And we need other people for that. So I would tell myself specifically that it's okay to ask for help. Mm. And it's okay to um, ask other people for what you need. Oh, I love that. That was beautiful. So Steph, where can people, you know, find you if they got interested in working with you or checking out your books, uh, the work that you put out there? They can find me at uh, my website, which is stephgodrow.com. And they can find my podcast, Harder to Kill Radio, anywhere you can listen to podcasts. And the book is anywhere you can buy books, whether <laughs> it's in a, a bookstore usually or online as uh. well. Awesome. So thank you so much, Steph. I really appreciate so much. Always like the honesty um, with which you have shared and other other women have shared on this podcast. I really find it so or I'm so grateful that you're opening up to a crowd of people you don't know and letting us in into something that has been like so um, you know, personal to you. And so I'm I'm sure that people got a lot out of this episode. Um And hopefully really taking your advice and all the experience that you've shared, you know, to heart and starting to yeah, navigate their own path towards a place where they feel more happy about themselves, more um, grateful for who they are, what they have. And so I just want to thank you so much. Well, this has been an awesome conversation and I really appreciate you having me on the show. It's oh, been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into the Thrive Podcast and spending your precious time with us. If you found this episode valuable and think that others could benefit from it too, please share it with your network, friends, and family. I would also be forever grateful if you could go over to iTunes and leave us an honest review about the show. And if you have a comment, question, or topic that you would like to see covered on the show, go to algamuller.com slash thrivepodcast. So see you next week, girl. And until then, don't forget that you were meant to thrive.